0: A public service announcement will give
1: Welcome. Your rights at work, Chris Garlock and Ed Smith. This is DC's Colin Show about worker rights. Those you have, those you don't, how to get them, how to use them. Got a great lineup of guests today. Anthony Randolph from Unite Here Local 23 on what's going on with food service workers. Joe Uline with the Labor Network for Sustainability, Earth Day at 50, Labor in the Environmental Movement, and Jack Kelly. The Edge of Anarchy, the Railroad Barons, the Gilded Age, and the Greatest Labor Uprising in America. As always, you can join the conversation, 202-588-0893. Ed Smith, how the heck are you?
2: I'm doing good, Chris, and I'm looking forward to the latter part of the show where we get to learn a little bit more about labor history. So it's good to hear your voice, good to see you uh, staying well, and I hope everybody out in the audience is uh Hunkering in, staying well. Uh, we're uh, wishing everybody safety and uh,
1: good health. Absolutely. And, hey, Mike Nacella is back on the board. Michael, so good to have you there. Uh, I, I didn't think your beard could get any bigger, but uh, this this uh, hunkering in is not, not hurting you, any. You got that going for you. Uh, Mike is there to handle the call. So, again, you can join us, 202-588-0893. Now, Ed, I just got an email from you, an update. Uh, to your nurses, and you need to share. First of all, a great photo! I love, love, love the photo. I am going uh, to tweet this photo out. Tell me what we're looking at here. I thought you'd dig that, Chris, and I was oh, hoping yeah. you'd mention it. Totally. Uh, well, dig it.
2: As of last week, we got uh, uh, I got contacted by our national union, National Nurses United, and they indicated that um, this group, Masks for America, uh, have. Uh, been able to get uh, procured N95 masks and were donating them up and down the East Coast. And over the weekend, they delivered a bunch of masks, a bunch of N95 respirators to uh, nurses up in New York and New Jersey. And then just yesterday, they were able to visit our colleagues at uh, United Medical Center and howard university hospital to donate some uh n95 uh respirators uh we're really appreciative of them doing that and um so that was uh you know a nice piece of good news uh that we often don't see um and uh we wanted to make sure that we told people about um uh issues that are are good and and, and helping our our uh country and, and particularly this region to combat this uh virus so uh uh, they do have a GoFundMe page um, right now i don't have it off I don't have it in my uh viewing uh, maybe you could uh, oh, yeah. go GoFundMe page but basically, it right it's a, here. yeah it's a page that would uh, allow people to make donations, and the donations go directly to buying yeah. purchasing uh various uh personal protective equipment for healthcare workers uh to uh alleviate some of the stress uh that our workers have in various hospitals as the as the uh, uh pandemic continues.
1: That's uh just go to the GoFundMe and Masks for America. M-A-S-K-S, the number four America. Y'all know how to spell that. So Masks America. Masks for America. Uh wonderful. And again, um I'll I'll try and tweet it out either during the show or certainly right after the show. I love it. This will be in union city radio or union city tomorrow as well. Just totally love it. Um, And and let me just say, uh, I was out for my weekly shopping yesterday. had to put my uh, homemade mask, which I love. I got it from my sister-in-law. It's very nice. Um, But you know, it's, I'm looking at your nurses with these, you know, uh, actual professionally made masks and, you know, (laughs) mine, I'm always having to adjust it and, I feel like I can't breathe real well with it, and so these are really nice masks. And I, you know, I only have to put it in for the 30 minutes or so that I'm shopping. Right. I cannot, if I had to wear this thing all day long, you know, like I mean, I know that your nurse nurses have to wear them like for their whole shift, right?
2: That's right. And you know, it's it's interesting that you mention about the um, uncomfortable. Uh, nature of these masks, uh, you know, I've I worked on my house over the years and used masks and then throw them off because I'm like, ah, too sweaty. And I'm, I can't breathe very well. Well, our nurses can't do that. And actually one of our nurses has been on several uh, media outlets talking about what it feels like to actually have to don all this equipment and then work with that mask every day. And she's um, uh, in her uh, early sixties and has some asthma problems and she says, usually within about 15, 20 minutes, I have really difficulty breathing, but I have to you know adjust and I have to go through it and make, make sure I get through the day doing this. And she sees patients, COVID-19 patients, patients that are suspected of the uh, virus, and then regular patients. So she goes through a 12-hour shift with uh, this mask. Uh, Again, I don't know if you recall, Chris, uh, we uh, as a union have said to the employers in the District of Columbia government that reuse of these masks is not appropriate, which is why we're trying to get more masks in-house, so that you use the mask when you see the patient, and after you finish seeing the patient, you should discard that mask. Uh, That's not happening in most of the hospitals across the uh, region.
1: It's uh, really amazing stuff. Uh, so again, uh, a great thing. And if you want to check it out, masks for America, that's on GoFundMe. Uh, and we'll have, we'll be tweeting that out. All right. You are listening to your right to work, Chris Garlic, Ed Smith. Of course you can call in 202-588-0893. We're going to have a little visit with our old friend, Joe Uline in just a few minutes talking about labor and the environment. But, uh, uh, Shepsu is now on the board, and Shepsu, if you can line up uh, our, our – our, we have an interview here with Anthony Randolph, and let me just set this up. Uh, tens of thousands uh, more laid-off workers uh, filed for unemployment assistance in the DMV last week. That's a total of nearly half a million claims over the last five weeks, which is uh, just a crazy number of folks that, that have had to do that. Now a small fraction of those workers are lucky enough to be members of a union and over at American University that membership might literally mean the difference between life or death. And when Compass Group, a uh, AU subcontractor laid off campus food service workers when the pandemic got going, Unite Here Local 23 sprang into action to ensure that members continued to get pension and medical benefits. Without those benefits laid-off workers would have little means to access care if they got sick. So PFW reporter Chris Banger drowns you just heard him with the news at the top of the hour, spoke with AU employee and Unite Here Local 23 member Anthony Randolph on Monday to find out more. Let's uh, let's listen to that tape now.
3: Can you tell us what specifically workers won and and how they got there?
4: All right. So at American University, I actually... I started out sending emails to the faculty um, in response to the workers' layoff. And I was actually trying to get the workers uh, compensated for the time that they're out of work. So, like, workers were reaching out to me saying, what can we do? Like, we're being laid off. And like I said, in response, I actually sent an email to the faculty and some of the students. And in response to that, they sent it to the university. The university responded back. "Uh, That is not their position. Um, You know, we might have to reach out to the food provider, which is uh, Chopwell Compass. Um, Compass in return replied that, like, it's a pandemic, it's nothing that they actually can do. So we just kept pushing, asking the university to support these workers, like we are a community. Um, It took about a week or two. We actually did an online petition. The university reached out, and they said, okay we found some kind of resolution. We can actually pay the medical benefits for the employees um, as well as contribute towards every employee's pension.
3: And and when you sent this email to, to faculty and students, were these uh, faculty and students that you already knew were supportive of, of the union and of workers on campus, or were these just kind of people that you reached out to randomly?
4: Well, you know, I am a leader at American University. I've been there for a long time, so I already had a A relationship with uh, most of the faculty on campus um so i just basically emailed them it was just a a community that came together jobs for justice um, united here level 23 and uh, the faculty and staff at at american university
3: clearly unite here members are uniquely impacted during this pandemic and during the lockdowns because you have so many members in hospitality and in food service I'm wondering, can you talk about what the union is doing to support members through the crisis?
4: Uh, During this crisis, we're actually reaching out to all the the food service contractors, such as Sadesco, uh, Compass, Aramark, asking them to continue paying to their medical and to their uh, pension contributions. And at the same time, we're reaching out to the client, which is um, at the university level, like at Howard or at American University, or at uh, Georgetown University, asking them to support us as well. Um, because at the end of the day, the workers didn't ask for it. Um, and at the same time, these corporations are getting all kind of subsidies. So we're like, they're not losing. Um, it's the hourly employees that's losing. Um, we also have online petitions at these arenas, top the arenas, Capital One, Nats, uh Baseball Stadium. Um, asking the owners to support these workers during these crises. So we're doing a lot of organizing. We're reaching out to the churches and the communities, the pastors, asking them to support us in these crises. We're doing a little food banking. We are doing uh, council rent. Um, We're doing a whole lot of uh, things uh, within the community.
3: Local twenty three. Is definitely an organizing union. They're always out there looking to unionize new shops, win contracts for shops that unionize, as well as in doing you know doing internal union work to to increase density. How does that change in the era of a pandemic and lockdowns? How does how does an organizing union unionize new shops, or is all of that being put on pause right now?
4: Well, it's not put on pause right now. It's um, organizing abroad. Before we haven't really went outside our perimeter and um, really start organizing with new organizations such as uh, churches. Like you know, that that gives us more strength because our, our members actually live in these communities and go to these churches. And like I said before, whether or not it's food banking because like in Ward seven and eight, there is a real shortage in food, the quality of food because it's not that many stores. So we are doing things like reaching out to city council getting them to actually, you know, provide more food within these areas where our, our numbers were. Um, because I used to be in that situation where so I lived in a district and there was a shortage. I used to have to get on the bus, ride in Southern Maryland to go to stores. So we're trying to, you know, using our ability as a union to organize in the community and make it stronger because that's where our members actually live in these communities.
1: That was Anthony Randolph, a worker leader at Unite Here Local 23, talking with WPFW WPFW reporter Chris Banger drowns You're listening to Your Rights at Work with Chris Garlock and Ed Smith. Now, yesterday was Earth Day. In fact, it was the 50th Earth Day, um, and we wanted to Talk a little bit about the connection between uh, the environment and labor because, frankly, uh, a lot of times uh, what we find is is those things be pitted against each other. It's uh, You're being set up with this. It's either jobs or it's the environment. You can't have both. Well, to talk about that, we got uh, our old friend Joe Uline uh, on the line with us. He's founding president of the Labor Network for Sustainability and Voices for a Sustainable Future. Joe, thank you so much for being with us.
5: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: How you holding up, brother?
5: Oh, I'm hanging in there. And how about you?
1: You know, we live about what a half a mile from each other, and I ain't seen you right. in forever.
5: <laughs> I, I know. Well, we ran into each other in the grocery store, and I was surprised That's... that you can. Have- you can recognize people with face masks
1: on. <laughs> I know, I know, that's true. We bumped into <laughs> each other. Well, didn't not, not literally, but I saw them in the Safeway. But uh, that was that was right. early on, and I tell you, I was still not used to like what's the protocol when yeah. you see people, you know, in the supermarket, you know. So I know it was, a, it was nice. Yep. To Nice to see you there. Hey, listen, talk to us. You know, 50th Earth Day, that's a big deal. But I really want to get into this whole sort of false dichotomy of labor versus the environment. Not, not really yeah. there, right? Yeah,
5: yeah. Uh, well, for us at the Labor Network for Sustainability, we kind of view this period from Earth Day to May Day. May Day, which, of course, is an internationally recognized worker holiday um, as kind of our holy week. Because it uh, with all apologies to the religious among us, uh, but it 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 links the uh, the need to repair the ecology uh, as well as then to address income inequality and create jobs. And we're convinced you can do both, which is why we have our one-sentence mission statement as making a living on a living
1: planet. Oh, I like that. That's great. Hey, so let me let me ask you, uh, you know, 50 years in, uh, on, on Earth Day, uh, do you have any particular, I mean, it seems like a historic occasion, and, of course, mm-hmm. uh, we're in this whole, you know, COVID mm-hmm. lockdown, and I'm, I'm just wondering if you or what your thoughts are, what your observations are. Yeah, yeah. Well,
5: I I guess I'd start by saying that, uh, you know, the first Earth Day 50 years ago would not have happened were it not for the involvement of the United Auto Workers Union, the UAW, and AFSCME, state, county, and municipal employees. Those two unions threw down you know, with money and staff time and a lot of other things to help make the first Earth Day happen. So we had a labor environmental coming together, uh, you know, back then. And coming out of that, we won OSHA and the EPA back to back. So there's some there's good DNA and history here for us to build on. Right now, what we're doing is uh, we're doing a lot of work uh, sort of lifting up the voices of frontline workers in this COVID crisis uh, and doing it um, on the, we're doing these webinars where we'll get like a grocery worker, a nurse, a transit worker, a postal worker, um, and they'll tell their stories about what life is like on the frontline of COVID. And then we'll have, you know, like 50 or more Environmental leaders on the line listening to that. And then we go into what can you, the environmental movement, do to support these frontline workers? So that kind of, that's what we're doing now. And a lot of the support is fighting for personal protective equipment and ventilators. If you're, you know, a hospital worker, you want the ventilators in there for the patients, um, stuff in the stimulus. so there's a lot of nuts and bolts ways to not just lift up the voices, but to actually support these frontline workers who are in such uh, grave danger. They're really the heroes of, uh, of this moment.
1: They are they are you're listening to your rights of work, Chris Garlick and Ned Smith. We're talking with Joe Ulon. He's the founding president of the labor Network for Sustainability and Voices for a Sustainable Future. Uh, is a long, long time uh, labor activist, leader, staffer. Uh, if you listen to Union City radio, that's his song that we use for our intro and our outro, and i I can never thank you enough uh, for that, Joe. Um, And just let me remind you, I know Ed Smith wants to get in on this, but uh, 202-588-0893 if you've got questions for Joe. And uh, Ed, let me bring bring you in here. Hey, Joe. uh, Good to hear you on the uh, radio again. Uh, We've missed seeing you
2: uh, out and about. Um, I uh, applaud your efforts. Uh, I know that our union and our national union have been very much in the forefront of uh, climate change issues. And uh, also as part of the Global Nurses Union, uh, we're dealing with nurses across the world talking about the climate change and trying to improve uh, the Mm -hmm. environment. So I applaud your efforts. I wanted to ask you, um, in terms of music, are you doing anything, anything musically in connection with that? And then also on a side note, How are you doing in terms of performing? Are you doing any Facebook uh, events or any uh, things out there that people could see?
5: Well, uh, I'm glad you asked the musical question, Ed. I appreciate that. I always do. (laughs) Yeah, and and as you know, um, all of our gigs are canceled. Yours, mine, and, you know, we we can't go out and gig. I haven't figured out the, the streaming stuff yet. I know a lot of musicians are doing it. What I am doing right now uh, is sort of a <clears throat> I'm rolling out a new song or two or three uh, every day between Earth Day so I got like five days of Earth Day theme songs uh, that will be in video. They'll be rolled out in video on Facebook and uh, on our uh, YouTube page and so five days of Earth Day theme songs and five days of May Day, so labor songs, and then I'm extending it to May 4th with three, four days of peace and anti-war songs to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Kent State massacre. Um, so I've got like 15 days of rolling out of videos, uh, music videos. So I'm I'm psyched about that, and I promise to learn learn how to do streaming.
2: Hey, Joe, that's great, uh, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing it. Uh, I, I have a little bit of a joke that I got from Facebook. Is uh, I saw it a couple of weeks ago that uh, it's been calculated that uh, musicians around here have lost somewhat around 5,000 gigs, uh, wow. totaling an amount of $500. <laughs> 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 that much? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can relate. I, I, I'm messing with the numbers a little bit, but.
1: Sad yeah. but true. Sad but true. <laughs>
2: I hear hey you. Joe,
1: what's your? Uh, where, where do people find you on Facebook? Uh,
5: just at Joe Uline. I'm, I'm straight up literal. No fancy names. Just Joe Uline, and of course the Uliners also have a Facebook page, uh, which is U L I N E R S at Uliners. Um, so you know, yeah, look me up.
1: Absolutely, That's Joe, and his last name is U-E-H-L-E-I-N. We will tweet that out yeah. uh, for folks as well. Um, but that's that sounds wonderful. You know, we have uh, all queued up, at, you know, because I didn't know about this thing that you're doing, but we are going to uh, go out when we finish up with you in a couple of minutes with, uh, you know, one of my favorite of your songs, You Can't Giddy Up By Saying Whoa, which is yeah. just a wonderful song because, you know, it's, it's it's a it's a I think it's a very subversive song. Let me say because it's a totally danceable, hummable. You're like moving and grooving to it, and then you start to listen to the words, and you're like, "Whoa, now whoa, whoa, what?" Uh-huh. Tell 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 the tell the genesis of that song because it's it's just such a wonderful yep. song, but it packs a a, a hellacious uh, message as well. Yeah,
5: well, you know the the message is that we got to get really busy and and fast. Solving the climate crisis and the income inequality crisis. So, you know, there's the, the first verse, or uh, first verse is that, you know, people always tell me, you know, you can't do things so fast. And that's a reference to, uh, you know, all the folks that I've worked with in the labor movement over the years who want to take it slow. And so I was saying, well, we got to get fast about this stuff. So there's a verse about climate change and there's a verse about, Income inequality and you know the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poor, and the middle class is slammed. Uh, and we got to fix that as well. And we think we can do it all with the same set of policies. And of course, the final verse is, uh, "When all is said and done, we want more done than said." So <laughs> let's get busy doing it.
1: Well, and, and just a few minutes we have left, but I want to just uh, yeah. go a little bit actually. Uh, what what do you think about that? About the timing on this? I mean, you've been singing that song for for a minute now. I mean, I, I don't. When when did that song yeah. come out? It's it's a, it's been a while now, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, a good I'd say three years. Yeah.
1: So here's what I'm wondering, Joe. You know, I mean, you you've been urgent. Look, when you were an organizer, you were urgent. You know, as as an activist, mm-hmm. you're urgent. Certainly on the environment. You know, you and a lot of other folks been you know just really. Mm-hmm you know, trying to get folks. And and what here, here's the connection that I'm making and, and uh, on the pandemic, right? You know, yeah. uh, look, I want to get out. I want things to get back to normal. I want people to get back to work as much as anybody else. But I got to tell you, you know, these folks that are trying to get things reopened when it is clearly all the professionals, uh, Ed, a lot yeah. of your folks, a lot of healthcare professionals are saying no, you know. And yeah. you know what I don't want to do is I don't want to die. I don't want my, you know, any of you guys. I don't want anybody to die, right? And yeah. so, yeah. you know, where's the sense of urgency? You know, if people can't get a sense of urgency about something that can actually kill you, like, you know, fast. Yep. The problem, yep. the problem with climate, the problem with climate change is that it don't kill you fast, right? I mean, you know, we're talking right. about our kids, maybe yeah, our grandkids. You know, so I'm just mm-hmm. curious, and, and you know, we just got a couple of minutes left, but. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing an Ed. Ed, here I'm opening up a really big question with a couple minutes yes, to sure. go. <laughs> You've learned well. You've learned well, my. I've son. learned from the master. Learned from the man. But but give us give us a yeah. shot at a response to that.
5: Yeah. Well, first, I would say that the uh, the this uh, premature reopening of the economy, you know, in like South Carolina and Florida and other states that are doing it, uh, it puts all of us in danger, and we've learned from history that these kind of viruses can reemerge if you are not really careful about how you handle it. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I'm, I'm frightened by this sort of, yeah, let's go out and just uh, stop all this social distancing and get back to work as much as I want people to get back to work and surely our economy needs it. This is not something to mess around with. So we got to be really, really careful. The economic situation is going to continue in uh, in a very bad way, even past, well past, um, when the virus subsides. Uh, so we have to keep our eyes on that too. And that gets to the, you know, the stimulus stuff. And, and we just, we have to fight like hell, if I can say that on the air, to, uh, not have that money go to corporations and CEOs, which is the way it's been done in the past, the way it's first stimulus was done. Uh, so we got to keep fighting for relief for people, you know, these checks, let me just say this, you know, these, uh, checks that they're sending out, um, they're nothing compared to so let's say United Kingdom. They're paying eighty percent of people's salaries. Denmark, right, seventy-five percent right. right. of people's salaries. Canada, everybody gets two thousand a month. What do we have? A one-time check of either twelve hundred or five hundred. Uh, so it, you know, it, this is this is to me shameful, and we got to fight to fix that problem.
1: Well, but, Joe, let me just say, you know, those payments in those other countries, they're not signed by Donald Trump. So we we got a little something going on there.
5: Exactly (laughs) Uh, right.
1: Let me me just ask you uh, another thing that I was thinking about. I heard some science fiction writers talking yesterday, uh, and there was a connection that I hadn't really consciously made, and I just want to run it by you. And they were just sort of pointing out – that a lot of these there's a connection that can be drawn between these viruses which we've been hit with just these various ways of these different viruses yeah. you know in the yeah. last that, that a lot of that can be directly traced to the impact on, of humans on the environment and I, I had not exactly. really made that connection is, is, yeah. does, does that make sense to you what are your thoughts oh
5: you know absolutely as I think you know i served on the UN Commission on Global Warming from its founding in 1988 through 2003, and I am am on the board of the Union of Concerned Scientists. And, you know, the scientists have been telling us for decades that global warming is going to change disease vectors, and we're already seeing that. It's going to make diseases more virulent, and we'll see new diseases and viruses because of the warming of the Earth and the climate change that comes along with that, it's very real. We've known about it for a long time. What we're seeing here with COVID-19 is really a prequel to what we will see in, in a world with, uh, where we're dealing with climate catastrophe, which we're on the verge of right now. So, yes, there is a connection. And that's not to say that COVID-19 is climate change caused. We know what caused it, uh, COVID-19. What it does say is that we also know that we're going to see a lot more of this kind of disaster uh, in, a, in a warming world and that we need to get our act together in terms of how we deal with it.
1: Well, Joe, it is always wonderful to catch up with you, whether I see you in a supermarket or or, or <laughs> here on the air, and keep up the great work. I know you're gonna be talking about this uh online tomorrow seven to eight uh with the yep. nova and and i'll I'll get that information out. but thanks so much for being with us and, and you know and also thanks so much for all the great work that you're doing. really appreciate it
5: oh, likewise, right back at you and uh uh you two brothers stay safe,
1: yes, sir. Thanks, we will. Joe. Uh, Take it easy. Take it easy right, man. Bye. Joe Uline, founding president of the Labor Network for Sustainability and Voices for a Sustainable Future, he will be online tomorrow from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, on the Nova Labor uh, Zoom meeting. You can get details on uh, our calendar dc org. click on calendar. Uh, all right, let's uh, I think Shepsu's got this all lined up. Let's uh, let's go ahead and hear a little uh, Uliners with Joe Uline.
0: Well, people always tell me, you can't do things so fast Take it slow, be real careful, can't upset the past Well, I just don't know, don't see things quite that way Best I can tell, we're about out of time, here's what I've got to say Boy, you can't giddy up by saying, whoa Ain't gonna get you where you wanna go, no time for moving slow Can't you up by saying, whoa Carbon in the atmosphere Swarming the earth, messing with the oceans Climate change is here We know what we got to do Leave it in the ground Look to the sun, feel the wind And listen to the sound Or oh, you can't giddy up by saying whoa Ain't gonna get you where you wanna go No time for moving slow Can't giddy up by saying whoa Getting richer, ain't across the land. poor get poorer, and the middle class is slammed. We know what we got to do to solve this one as well. Tax the rich, give the workers a raise, tell the bankers to go to hell. Oh, you can't get up by saying, Whoa, ain't gonna get you where you wanna go. No time for moving slow. Can't get up by saying, Whoa. In this world of ours, you just can't get ahead We bail out those bankers real quick when they mess things up The rest of us left hold the bag, for me I've had enough Boy, you can't giddy up by saying whoa Ain't gonna get you where you wanna go No time for moving slow Can't giddy up by saying whoa
1: Right. That was in case you didn't recognize his uh, voice, Joe U with the U liners and uh, one of my favorite of their tunes. You can't get you up by saying, Well, hey uh, you played
2: the whole song, Chris.
1: I know. Hey I tell you <laughs> it's right. I, I again I've learned from the master. I, I and I just and the thing Good is job. you have to play that whole song because every verse you got to hear every verse, so you know. I saw you picking along with it, you know. So that I was did. that was that was fun. All right, hey, up next, your your favorite part of the show coming up here, Ed. We're going to do our, our labor history segment, uh, and our guest. He's a guy I've been trying to get on for for it feels like months now. Uh, he he's author of another one of my uh, books with uh, a great subtitle. This has been the year of of great books with great subtitles. Uh, Jack Kelly, his book is "The Edge of Anarchy." Uh, the Railroad Barons, the Gilded Age, and the Greatest Labor Uprising in America. Jack Kelly, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, great to be with you, Chris. Uh, I have to set a little context for you, Jack. Uh, last week we had Tony Gilpin on with The Long, Deep Grudge, a story of big Labor, uh, Big capital, radical labor, and class war in the American heartland, which not only also has a great uh, title and subtitle, but as you probably know, also takes place in uh Pretty much the same neighborhood over there in Chicago, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of folks are not going to know of this particular struggle that you're writing about. So can you sort of give folks a little background?
6: Yeah. uh, Really, the uh, origin of the Pullman strike uh, began in 1893 when there was one of the worst uh, depressions. In fact, the worst depression uh, was referred to as the Great Depression up until that time. Uh, and it was a typical bank uh and uh Wall Street panic and then led to enormous unemployment and lasted for about five years during the eighteen nineties. And in the second year of that depression, um, the one of the largest factories in uh America uh, was just outside of Chicago, the Pullman Works and they produced uh rail cars. They were famous for their sleeping cars. And George Pullman, who ran that company, had a system of uh, company town in which he kind of recycled wages, where they'd pay the wages, but then the workers had to pay them back to live in these rented uh, uh, houses and apartments that they had in the company town. And during the Depression, as their wages were lower and their hours were lowered, uh, they still had to pay the same rents. He had started with pretty exorbitant rents to begin with. So the guys would work two weeks, and they'd get a check for two dollars, because they're, they had paid their rent. They got fed up with this. They went on strike. They had been become members of the first industrial union in America, which was the American Railway Union, started by Eugene Debs, and it was a, a union that included everyone in the railroad industry, and the the Pullman workers were members of that. Most of the members of the Union worked on the railroads themselves, they were on the trainmen or worked in the yards. <clears throat> the Pullman workers asked the other, other members in solidarity and out of sympathy with them to stop handling Pullman cars, and they did so. And that created a national crisis because it essentially shut down the railroads, and the railroads wouldn't budge, they wouldn't take the cars off that were Pullman cars. So they simply fired the workers. Uh, America then learned how dependent they were on the railroads, because it was many cities that was the only way to get to them. There was no road system. So um, in the middle of the Depression, you had this enormous crisis of uh, labor crisis, and really it involved tens of thousands of workers.
1: So there's a couple of things there that that and and we want to get into. One is uh, this story, and and I got to say, this is a wonderful book. Uh, it, it, you know, you've written it essentially like a novel. I mean, it, it's really novelistic, uh, and, and I just love that. I'm a, I mean, my father is a labor historian. I've been reading labor history for years, and and I love it. But I mean, honestly, a lot of time it reads like history. Uh, you've taken, and I knew about this strike, but the the granularity and the, the the drama, and and maybe I'm totally misreading it, but my reading of your book, it's really this this, this showdown between George Pullman. Uh, and Gene Debs. And so just give thumbnails because I think folks may or may not know about Debs, but Pullman is just an amazing character. You know, he was. What would you, I'll let you do that. Well, well yeah, I
6: think uh, you're, you're right, Chris, that the, the personalities and the people involved is really the, the way to, to bring out the drama in, in, a, in a story like this one is the very dis, uh, colorful personalities. Uh, George Pullman had essentially. Um, He was not an inventor, but he was was a master businessman, and he knew how to manipulate capital at a time when a lot of even very sophisticated businessmen didn't understand Wall Street, but he he knew how to go to Wall Street, how to get huge amounts of capital to to finance his business, and he became extremely successful. Uh, Eugene Debs had been a, a fairly conservative Labor leader in the railroad industry and the railroad, the unions in the railroad industry at the time were um, what they called brotherhoods, a craft union. So that the engineers had a union, the the, the firemen had a union, uh, the brakemen had a union. Debs thought they're being divided, which they were, um, and defeated. And if a, a, a fireman could run a train as well as an engineer. So if the engineers went on strike, they would just turn to the firemen and say, well, now you run the train. He said, we need one big union. It was, a, it was an idea that was very much ahead of its time. Um, it didn't really come in successfully until the 1930s. And the United Auto Workers is a good example. Where everybody in the in an auto plant, no matter what the job is that they do, they, they're all members of, of the union, the UAW. So, um Debs was wary of going on strike during a depression, but he got the idea, and a lot of people did, that this was going to be the big confrontation, that that the workers and capital were finally going to fight it out to the end and see who was going to win. And he became very enthusiastic for the strike. Um, it was di- a difficult time. The workers really did win the strike. They The railroads were up against the wall they were most of many of them were shut down they were heavily leveraged so they had to meet these debt obligations and they would have had to make a deal but the the uh... fly in the ointment really was the government because at that point the government stepped in and broke the strike
1: we're talking with Jack Kelly. He's the author of The Edge of Anarchy, The Railroad Barons, The Gilded Age, and The Greatest Labor Uprising in America. Uh, Ed Smith, my co-host, uh, wants to get in on this.
2: Mr. Kelly, thank you very much. Yeah. I always love uh, when Chris books uh, authors to talk about labor history. and So we're talking about 126 years ago or so. And uh, exploitation, I think, is probably still around. I think we can probably all agree. (laughs) Um, Good call, Ed. Good call. uh, So I I think about the Wall Street uh, bailouts and now with coronavirus, the bailouts for a lot of corporations. Uh, In your view, is this just a more sophisticated way of exploitation or... Is it the same old, same old? And the other thing that I, I, I find very interesting is the company town. These these uh, business owners were very smart about that, but they were also borrowing on history, going back for years and years, going back to even feudalism. So maybe if you can comment on both that.
6: Yeah, I, I would say that uh, they were pretty sophisticated, and I think that was where somebody like Pullman really stood out from, and you know people like John D. Rockefeller. They understood and they knew how to work the levers, and particularly the levers of government. And so the parallels to me are that you see today. Um, Grover Cleveland, who was the president at the time, had a, an attorney general named Richard Olney. He was a railroad lawyer, he was a director of several railroads while he was attorney general. He didn't see any reason to recuse himself. So. <laughs>
1: He I did was not This is the amazing part of the story, by the way, Jack. I was not aware of that. And, and you read this, and your jaw just sort of drops. And it's like, how did this happen?
6: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's um, essentially when it came to, to Olney, uh, rather than act as the chief law enforcement officer of the country, he essentially just went to the railroad and said, what do you want me to do? and he did it and that was they wanted two things one was an injunction which he got a court injunction that just simply flatly said the strike is illegal um and he got federal troops to be sent in which was very controversial not militia not national guard but federal troops were sent in to break the strike so today we're looking you know you look around you they have the head of the EPA is a coal lobbyist. The head of the Interior Department is a, is a oil lobbyist. There's no pretense of the government as the referee. But here's a dispute, the workers versus capital. We're going to be the referee. We're going to try to sort it out. We're going to maybe even uh, arbitrate. They, they went totally onto one side in the dispute and um that was that was the reason the strike was
1: defeated there, there were two other points that that i thought were really fascinating in, in trying to break the strike one was uh one had to do with the mail and the other had to do with how pullman i mean just like just like the unions were not all necessarily together and i mean they're two sort of parallel stories i mean you know, Debs and the American Railway Union trying to organize the labor movement, which was definitely not all on board. And that's one story. And then but it was interesting. The bosses were not all agreed either. And and uh, and even Cleveland, Cleveland, from your telling, was was not. I mean, he left it up to Olney. But Pullman from from your book kind of bullied the other railroad owners. Right. Well, the,
6: the the railroad owners saw the, 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 they were afraid of the American Railway Union. They were afraid of, uh, of the the unity of the workers. They liked the uh, the brotherhoods because the brotherhoods they could play against each other. Uh, so when they saw the strike coming, they and Pullman got together and they they told him, you know, we've got your back and don't give an inch because we want them to go on strike. And they saw that as a way of um, of breaking the union, and they were correct. So and, and to uh, to mention it uh, to just to go over a couple of things you mentioned, um, the mail was the reason they gave. there was two reasons they gave for why could uh, Grover Cleveland send in federal troops? One was to to keep the mail going. And the other was that several of the of the railroads had been nationalized, essentially because they'd gone bankrupt, and the federal government had taken over the running of them. So that if you struck against one of those railroads, you were striking against the government, the government had had the authority to send in federal troops. Uh, those were very flimsy pretenses
2: for doing it, but uh, that's that was, those were the reasons it gave. Uh, so uh, I, I, I know we're not nearing the end of the interview, but I have an epilogue question. You might want to tell the audience whatever happened to Eugene Debs after this strike and subsequent.
6: Well, that was you know that that wasn't the the, the central focus of the book, but it, I have to say I was writing this book during the uh, 2016 election, and it was a great um, a great uh, morale booster to be to spend time with Eugene Debs, who's a tremendous inspiring character, and his career, as we know it, really began with the uh, pullman strike he went to jail for uh, the, the strike having been made illegal and he continued to promote the strike he was uh, sent to jail for six months he came out of jail and he was on his way to becoming a socialist and he really founded the american socialist party he founded the ideas of democratic socialism that we're seeing at least a, a small revival of today and and actually when you consider uh, Bernie Sanders, whose uh, Debs was a great hero of Sanders, um, a, a pretty significant uh, revival of uh, democratic socialist ideas. Um, these were div- these go back to Debs, not to so much to Karl Marx, but to Debs had this optimistic kind of American view of socialism. He um, felt that if the government was going to come in on the side of capital. The, the the struggle of labor had to be a political struggle, and it, they had we had to change the government. So he began. He ran for president five times as uh, on the socialist ticket, and um, he lost every time. But he was he, he built a, a movement. He he went around the country. People loved to hear him speak. Very sympathetic speaker and orator, and he um, spread a lot of the ideas of socialism. That were very radical, as Bernie Sanders says. You, know, hey, this idea was radical until I started talking about it. Now it's accepted. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Social Security or minimum wage or unemployment insurance, these were considered were really out fringe ideas. But Debs kept pushing them and pushing them, and eventually they they worked their way into the to the mainstream of politics. So he was certainly a fascinating character, and uh, uh, I think. Um, Somebody that deserves a little bit wider uh, uh, publicity now, you know somebody that can turn to and look at. Uh, Alexandria ocasio cortez is really the descendant of Eugene Debs
1: we're talking with jack kelly he's the author of the edge of anarchy the railroad Banners, the gilded age and the greatest labor uprising in america it's a terrific read i i, I just couldn't put it down went through it in about 3 days and i've been recommending it uh, to everybody jack uh, again it's it's not just uh, history not just labor history it it really is just this very druma- i mean you could it's it's almost a script i feel like you could you could just make a movie out of it um, let me let me ask you. and Ed got at this uh, a bit, and I just want to to sort of bring it back as as we head into the end of the uh, interview here. But you know, I mean, we're in the middle of a, They can call it what they want, but I mean, it's clearly you know whether it's a, they call it a recession or a depression. I mean, we're we're in this huge economic uh, contraction at the moment. Uh, certainly, uh, something that you know to the extent that we haven't seen in our lifetimes, but. You know, you've got a historic perspective. I mean, you know, this the <clears throat> period of time you're t- you're talking about. They had depressions every five years or so, as I recall. You know, yeah. what I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm just curious about uh, with that perspective how 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 we can look at what we're going through right now from from where, where you sit. Yeah, I think
6: that the, the what I took from the the research I did about it was. The, the idea of solidarity. Uh, my my father was in the United Auto Workers uh, for decades, and we used to get the uh, the union newspaper, and the title was solidarity. And it's a word uh-huh. that's fairly common. You commonly run into in the labor movement is not used very widely in the general society. But I think this the Pullman strike was a solidarity strike. It was not. It was a sympathy strike. It wasn't the railroad workers were looking after their own interests. They were. They were striking in sympathy with the Pullman workers. And that idea of people pulling together, I think we're, you're seeing now, we saw it at 9-11. Oh, all of a sudden, police and firemen and paramedics, they're heroes. Look, they, they run toward danger. That lasted for about six months. Then they weren't heroes anymore. They were people asking for a, a raise or a, a pension uh, that people didn't want to pay for. We're seeing the same thing today. The solidarity with medical workers, with nurses and uh, doctors and paramedics, and um, we're all in this together. But how long is it going to last when they come and say, "You know, we want a living wage. We want to people in supermarkets who, you know, there's a sense of solidarity. Those are human beings. that are risking their lives actually by going to work." Um, all these things come back to the idea of solidarity, which was one of the big themes of Eugene Debs' life and uh, one of the messages I think that he passed on to us.
1: No, I think that's right. Well, Jack, it's wonderful having you on. I'm so glad we were, we were able to get you in. Again, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, any, uh, any, any hint on what you're working on next?
6: Uh, I'm actually writing a book about the uh, Revolutionary War, which is another of my uh, uh, perennial topics. So I I did a book called The Band of Giants, which is uh, an overview of the war, and I'm doing another book about the uh, aspects of the
1: Revolutionary War coming out next year. You can find out uh, jackkellybooks.com. Jack, it's been great having you on. Really appreciate it.
6: Thanks, Chris. It was uh, great to do it, and I hope you guys keep up the good work.
1: Appreciate you, it. You too, Jack Kelly, author of *The Edge of Anarchy*, *The Railroad Banners, *The Gilded Edge*, and the greatest labor uprising in America. Again, just a, a great read, especially if you're interested in such things. Um, Ed, just on, on that last point, sort of bringing it back to where we started with you and your nurses. I thought Jack made some really good points. I mean, yeah, your nurses right now, you know, and and all of these, you know, first responders. You know, I know I'm going out of my way to really. Uh, through my mask, express appreciation to the, the you know checkout folks at the supermarkets. But I think Jack, Jack is asking a good question. How long before yeah. you guys uh, become the, uh, the the problem people? When you, I don't
2: you know? I don't think it's I don't think it's how long. I think it's that's the same case it is now. I, I hate to say this. I hate to close the show on this kind of note, but it reminds me of thoughts and prayers after (laughs) school shooting they're giving us thoughts and prayers right now they're not giving us enough equipment they're not giving us they're not testing us right and there's certainly no hazard pay given to nurses and other healthcare workers but they're still going to work and they're still going to fight this crisis but yeah that's my um bummer uh approach to it i just i think everybody's saying the right words um but in policy it's not happening. And then you see the government passing these stimulus packages, which sound great,
1: but the money ain't going where it should be going. Well, that's a fine way to go out Ed. I mean, tell it <laughs> like it is. That's what we do here on your rights at work. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's show. Thanks so much to Shepsu for engineering. Thanks to listening. We'll be back next week. Peace out, folks. See you, Chris.